On this week's 51%, there is some help for veterans caregivers during the COVID-19 pandemic. We hear from a CEO trying to break down barriers to obtaining birth control. The pandemic has radically shaped the way how people access healthcare, including birth control. And Dr. Jerry Burns chimes in about charity in the checkout line. I'm Allison Dunn, and this is 51%. Burnout is a common problem for family members who care for disabled veterans. And for many of these caregivers, the pandemic has made things even harder. Now, a new program is hoping to give some caregivers a break. Kathy Carter reports for the American Homefront Project. Before COVID-19, Lori Gary of Austin, Texas, had a network of support when it came to care for her husband, Tom, an Air Force veteran diagnosed in 2016 with service-related ALS. And once COVID hit, we had to stop everybody coming into the house. So it was just crazy stressful. Even before the pandemic, Gary's daily responsibilities as her husband's primary caregiver left little time to focus on anything else. Caregiving for me because of Tom's high-level disability is, am I going to get a shower today? Am I going to get to sit down and actually drink a hot cup of coffee? Now, after eight months of nearly going it alone, Gary has received some much-needed help with a free respite relief program from the Department of Veterans Affairs and the Elizabeth Dole Foundation. The nonprofit, founded by the former senator, offers support and resources to military caregivers. Twice now, respite workers have come to Gary's house to prepare meals and clean the kitchen. That's a huge job because Tom has a feeding tube and his food has to be chopped, blended, and liquefied. Those are all things that, in addition to my normal caregiving duties, I have to take care of. So you just tend to forget that it takes a tremendous amount of energy. Professional caregiving company CareLinks and the Wounded Warrior Project donated $1 million each to launch the nationwide Respite Relief for Military and Veteran Caregivers program. The Dole Foundation's CEO, Stephen Schwab, says the organization saw the need as the pandemic has meant military caregivers were dealing with long-term isolation. Anxiety, depression is skyrocketing among caregivers. And all of that equates to a crisis happening in millions of homes across America right now. In a recent Dole Foundation survey, respite relief was the top need identified by veteran caregivers. Still, says Schwab, many have concerns about safety because they're looking after people with serious illnesses. So on a typical day, that veteran, that caregiver, that family is vulnerable. Now that we're inside a pandemic, it can be life-threatening. Schwab says before going into the home, professional health care workers complete a symptom check and recipients are also screened for COVID symptoms. That's important for the health of people like Air Force veteran Laura Narvez, who suffered a traumatic brain injury in 2016 after an IED attack. The blast caused her to suffer post-traumatic stress disorder and also damaged the nerves that control everyday functions like her blood pressure and heart rate. That's why a notice with a red stop sign has been taped to the door of her home near Clearwater, Florida, since March. It alerts any would-be visitors she has a weakened immune system. My doctors called the house and was like, are you staying at home? And I was like, yes, I'm staying at home. Because literally, like, everything they started saying for people who were succumbing to it, um, I was checking all the boxes, basically. Joseph Narvez is his daughter's caregiver. He's also a fellow with the Elizabeth Dole Foundation and an advocate for other veteran caregivers. 
These days, he hears a lot about how overburdened they feel because of COVID-19. Respite care is paramount. So it's my job now to educate them and where to get help and how to get help. Stephen Schwab of the Dole Foundation expects the program to cover 75,000 hours of care for more than 3,000 caregivers. The next step, he says, is to develop a long-term plan for respite relief. Because we want to change the model of the Department of Veterans Affairs and the ways that they're going to offer respite care post-pandemic on a sustained basis. So those investments are going to be super important. Because after the professionals leave, veteran caregivers are back on duty. And for many, it's a full-time job. I'm Kathy Carter in Tampa. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Dr. Sharon Uffberg returns with her 51% segment, Force of Nature. This time, she interviews Simple Health CEO Carrie Subut, who, prior to becoming CEO, held a variety of leadership roles in finance, technology, strategy, and health care for several Wall Street companies and beyond. Subud is out to change perceptions and access for many women to a certain area of health care. Let me start like this. You know, as a woman of color and as someone who has dealt with issues of access to health care in your own personal life, I would love you to share with the audience a little bit about your story and how you ended up CEO of a, you know, of a birth control simple health, you know, company. Sure. Well, first of all, I just want to thank you for inviting me today to talk about this really sensitive topic at this moment in time of our country. So a little bit about me. I've been in strategy, finance, and operations my entire career. Like you said, I began on Wall Street, which really, you know, set me with a strong foundation to be CEO. But if, you know, being a CEO was sort of like in my training, being CEO of Simple Health was literally in my bones. Um Ever since I grew up as a little girl, I loved reading Nancy Drew. I loved that Nancy Drew was always solving the cases and not the boys. And I said to myself, you know, when I grow up, I want to be someone like Nancy Drew, who's always solving people's problems. Um, but at age 12, that dream kind of got a little bit, I would say, sidetracked because I got diagnosed with a rare disease called dystonia that literally almost landed me being in a wheelchair. So for my entire life, my last 30 years, I've been in and out of hospitals, um, between surgeries and, and diagnoses. And 14 years ago, I was actually blessed with the miracle of science and technology and actually was able to walk again. Um, I had brain surgery, I had deep brain stimulation, and I just remember laying on the operating table and thinking that I still want to be Nancy Drew no matter how the surgery turned out. So, you know, needless to say, I ran the New York City Marathon 2018, and that's really when. I knew I had to fulfill this this need of like purpose and passion. And so when the opportunity to be CEO of Simple Health came across my pathway, it just, you know, all made sense. Um, so I think of my role at Simple Health in, in two ways. The first is to really change the way reproductive health is accessed in this country. Access is something that we don't all have, and sometimes we sometimes we take for granted. But I truly believe that the platform we, we are building will change the way people access essential reproductive health. And then personally, you know, when I was growing up, to have a woman of color who is, like, you know, a CEO but also disabled was just really rare. So part of my passion is just, you know, telling my story to get people to just dream bigger than what they're sometimes told to do by society. So that's my story. That's why I work hard every day. That's why I get up every day and really 
think that we really have just begun this fight for reproductive health in, in the U.S. Your story is so inspiring, Carrie. Could you just tell the listeners what is Simple Health? And then I have a follow-up question to that. Sure. Simple Health, right now, we currently offer online birth control. Um, but because, you know, the team and I really want to change the, the narrative in the U.S. right now, we are going to basically start building a company around reproductive health. So think of, you know, all ages and stages. And we really want to give people the window of, of having a true conversation about what it's like to, to go through, you know, puberty, fertility, menopause, all the stuff that we're told that we shouldn't talk about. I really want to break that taboo and encourage women to, to have these conversations. So that's what our, we're, we're starting to craft here at Simple Health. That sounds really important. So moving on to the coronavirus pandemic, I know it has exacerbated a lot of the challenges of getting birth control prescriptions filled. You've been quoted as saying, now more than ever, we need to focus on methods of maximizing clinicians' limited time while offering more flexibility to patients. Can you discuss what's happened during the current pandemic for women and how you're dealing with the problem? The coronavirus, really, the pandemic has radically shaped the way how people access healthcare, including birth control. Um, online birth control providers, myself, ourselves included, have seen just such a huge explosion in new patients since we started. We, um, we've seen major growth, 100%. But, you know, I want to point out here that the pandemic only accelerated a trend that was already disrupting the market. What we did is as soon as we saw literally on March 15th, um, I made a big, bold bet that this was not going to be a two-week situation. And we basically went and just tried to access all marketing channels to be able to get the word out to women who had no idea that you can even get your birth control online. So um, what we do is we really offer a personalized birth control um, prescription offering. You come in, you fill out your, your consultation, a provider reads it, and our goal for you as a patient is to get your birth control from in you know three to five days after you fill out your consultation. So one of the things that I read, which was very troubling to me, was that you know these very high percentages of women, twenty nine percent of white women, thirty eight percent of black women, forty five percent of Latinos said they were struggling to access their birth control because of the social distancing, forcing doctors' offices and pharmacies to close. Um, your, you know, Simple Health pivot to try to get more mm-hmm. online um, birth control available. Is it working? Are you seeing those numbers change at all? The stats I gave you were from June. Are you seeing any change in that access for um, women, especially minority women? No, I think, you know, I think the problem we are thinking about solving right now is, how do we even go more mass market to, to get those sort of minority groups you talked about to be able to access um, birth control? Because, you know, in this country, really, the major piece of healthcare is how do we make it affordable and, you know, for everyone, whether it's social, political, or economic levels. And the biggest problem we see right now is not only a lack of access, but just a lack of awareness. So one of the ways we want to really figure this out is can we talk to local communities, local, um, I would just say coalitions, to get to, to get our word out there, to say, hey, you know what, you actually don't have to go spend 
six days waiting for an appointment to go see your OBGYN or your PCP and wait in line and, and go to the pharmacy and all those steps are actually really exposing yourself more and more to, you know, the probability that you're going to get the virus. So we are literally just trying to right now target people who are not aware this is even an, an offer to be like, look, hey, you know what, Let's, we want, you've got enough to worry about. Let's help you take care of your birth control. And even in that vein, Sharon, um, just from some market research we did, we actually launched Colesor and Herpes. So, again, another sort of, I would say, prescription that you can get in your own home without having to go physically see a doctor. So just to add to the problems we're all facing, now the delays with the U.S. postal delivery is also affecting women who rely on mail-order prescriptions. I mean, I know there's a clear standard about how birth control pills can only be refilled within seven days of the end of the cycle. However, that might mean that something that normally would take three to five days to arrive by mail may now take 10 days to arrive. And because birth control pills obviously have to be taken daily to remain an effective form of contraception, a three-day delay even can have dire consequences for women. And I think this is doubly an issue for those women who are using the pill for more serious medical issues like endometriosis or polycystic ovary syndrome, conditions that require consistency that goes well beyond just avoiding a pregnancy. Have you seen this as an additional problem, and how are you addressing it? So, Sharon, first of all, I just want to thank you for mentioning this notion that it's not only from birth control, right? Like, if you look at, like, some of our our legislation going on in this country right now, the supposition is is that birth control is all about, you know, abstaining from from getting pregnant. You actually said exactly right. It is actually not. It is about – it is a prescription drug that helps people with – PCOS, endometriosis, heavy cramps. So for us, this was not about like, hey, you know, it's okay that your your birth control is going to be late. We saw the severity of the situation. So what we did was um, a couple things. If if we were able to basically send you um, three months at a time and we worked with the insurance companies, we did that. If you said to us, hey, you know, it's been a while, I have not seen my prescription, we were basically, you know, overnighting prescriptions. So one of the core values of simple health is really patient first. And, you know, you mentioned the pandemic before. You know, we were all freaking out, not just people, but myself included. And so we actually worked with every patient, whether they had just lost their job or whether, you know, they just need an extra month so that we can get them on hand. We worked with the insurance companies tirelessly um, just to be able to make sure that a woman does not miss that cycle of birth control. It is extremely important. And, you know, just, I just want to add one thing here. It's... um. I started my job on February 24th. I just want to tell you just a little bit about the history, my history of simple health. And then we had the pandemic, and then we had the social justice movement, and then we had UPS, and then we had RBGs passing. Um, It is just every time I open the newspaper, it's always one more thing of how women are basically not being able to access their birth control. So having people like yourself talk about this just brings awareness to the fact that this is just so important in every woman's life regardless of economic or political or social standing, this is a prescription that some women have to absolutely have to have a decent quality of life. Our um, website is simplehealth.com, and uh, we would love everyone to take a, a look at us, and we encourage all women that need access not only to come take a look at us, but just continue the conversation. If I have to say anything, Sharon, to the takeaways for you and your listeners, is just 
let's not stop. Let's keep fighting. Let's make sure that this conversation, quite frankly, is not a conversation that we are still going to be having 10 years from now. Thanks again for being with us. And this is Dr. Sharon Uffberg on Force of Nature for 51%. Carrie Subud is CEO of Simple Health. Dr. Sharon Uffberg is co-founder of the personal development wellness company Borrowed Wisdom in California. Now, courtesy of KCRW's independent producer project, we listen to Helen as she tried to make sense of new motherhood, a global pandemic, and systemic racism all colliding. This is her mid-pandemic. Jaleel is the happiest, most sweet child. Always very observant and just kind of um, absorbing like all the information around him. My name is Helen Pang and I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. When Jaleel arrived, I would say that my life was filled, has been filled with so much more joy, which was hard for me to imagine because my life before Jaleel was filled with a lot of joy as well. So I guess I traded in my happy hours for real happy hours. Hi. Since the pandemic began, time seems to be meshing all together. A lot of the days and weeks and now months have just combined. It feels like Jaleel is growing faster. A little over a month ago, he learned how to crawl. I made a joke with my mom at the beginning of the pandemic. I said, you know, Jaleel might be walking by the time you get to hold him next. And now it's been three months and my joke seems like it's going to become the reality. I have a baby, and I don't just have a baby. I have a black boy in 2020, and I am responsible for raising him. I am responsible for teaching him right from wrong and teaching him who to trust and who to question. So... When George Floyd was murdered, even though he's so much older than my son, all I can think about, all I've been thinking about is that could be him. It felt like the camel's back was finally broken. It hit differently. Maybe it was because it was in the city that I live in. Immediately, I knew that I wanted to be part of it, and... I realized I'm also dealing with being a mom to an infant during a global pandemic. The last couple weeks of time, three weeks have felt like it's been two months. I don't know if you describe it as time moving fast or time moving slow, but just it's very heavy. If my son was ever murdered, by the police, by some racist person or people, I would burn burn it all. Burn it all. Look at the world, Jaleel. Look out that window. That whole world, everything is yours. Everything you want to be yours, 
is yawn. You understand me? There is nothing that you cannot accomplish. Because you are my son, and my son can do everything. This piece was produced by Ian Fox, Lucy Perkins, Ariana Martinez, and myself, Ray Pang, with special thanks to my sister Helen Pang as part of the 24-hour radio race from KCRW's Independent Producer Project. And Dr. Jerry Burns checked out Checkout Line Charity this past holiday shopping season. Whenever I scroll through Facebook, I feel like a prospector panning for gold. I mean, sometimes hidden among the contentious political soapboxing and the look at my amazing, perfectly framed life posts is something of real interest to me, like a hunk of gold in a pan of sand. One nugget I bumped into recently was a post from a friend about something that happened while she was at her job. She works at a craft store. It was very busy on the day in question, at least as busy as it can be during socially distanced holiday shopping days. An older lady and her daughter were on a line. They had a pile of craft items that were carefully curated for a special holiday project. The older woman lovingly stroked the contents in the cart, her fingers air sculpting them into finished products. While she waited for the cashier to finish with the customer ahead of her, she and her daughter added up the cost of each piece in the cart. Oh, the grandkids are going to love what I turn these into, the older lady said with a blend of pride and excitement. Finally, the cashier rang up the bounty. When it was all totaled up, both women sighed with relief. It was the exact amount they had budgeted for. Then the daughter inserted her debit card, but it didn't go through. I mean, well, yeah, it did, but only for a portion of the bill. They tried to resubmit it, but the card just wasn't having it. Its limit was less than expected, and they were short by about $18. They didn't understand what happened, and the cashier didn't know what to do. My friend, who was working in another part of the store, came over to help with the technicalities. She suggested that they return some of the items, or the whole pile could just be held over until the next day. Well, can we leave them all until next week? The older lady asked, hopefully. Then her daughter said, Mom, if we wait a week, you won't have enough time to make these for the holiday. Oh, but we won't be able to come up with all that money in less time than that, she replied with tears in her eyes. My friend sadly shook her head and said that they could only hold the items for a day. And even before she had a chance to come up with another idea, a woman from the next line approached my friend and gave her a $20 bill. This should cover it. The mother and daughter looked at each other and then at the woman. Oh, well, how, how could we pay you back? The woman shook her head. Your items are for Christmas presents, right? Well, this is my Christmas present to you. And she picked up her bags and left the store. My friend felt tears well up in her eyes when this happened. The woman from the other line did this without any fanfare. She sought no attention. All she wanted to do was help. As my friend puts it, 
She could do it, so she did. And the woman's action gave my friend ideas about ways she can help should such a situation ever come up again. And because of thinking that way, now she can help in an instant. My friend wasn't the only one who reacted to this. Every single person on the checkout line asked if there was a way they could help. Can we buy a gift certificate? How can I donate cash to a fund here? Is it possible to buy them more craft items? Just like my friend and all the people on the checkout line, this scenario touched me too. Yet it is not a unique story. I mean, how many of you have heard pay it forward tales such as this? They are kind of like true and happy urban legends. They happen in Nebraska to this friend of a friend or in New York City to this uncle's cousin's dentist. The thing is, we are most likely to hear about these events when they happen during the holidays. But doesn't heartfelt generosity need to persist beyond the holidays? I am thinking a lot about this, especially now at the end of 2020. Thanks to COVID, many people have lost jobs or suffer from significantly reduced income. Holiday gifts notwithstanding, paying the rent or making food purchases is hard or impossible for many. And while COVID-19 has made life a terrible health and economic struggle for people, economic struggle exists with or without the specter of COVID-19. I plan to think about this all through the year, every year, not just during the holidays in a pandemic. But for now, I will happily imagine a family of children receiving special holiday gifts made with the loving hands of their grandmother, thanks to the kindness of a stranger. And I am grateful for this reminder that we don't need to prospect to find hearts of gold, because they are everywhere among strangers on a checkout line, neighbors, family, and most importantly, deep down inside every one of us. Wishing happy holidays to those who celebrate and joy and health to everyone in 2021. Dr. Jerry Burns is a storyteller, writer, and educator living in New York's Hudson Valley. You can find her at storycrafters.com. Burns also is an adjunct professor in the Department of Communication at the State University of New York at New Paltz. That's our show for this week. Thanks to Tina Rennick for production assistance. Our executive producer is Dr. Alan Shartok. Our theme music is Glow in the Dark by Kevin Bartlett. This show is a national production of Northeast Public Radio. If you'd like to hear this show again, sign up for our podcast or visit the 51% archives on our website at wamc.org. This week's show is number 1640.